Please turn with me now to the book of Exodus, chapter 2. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and the very second is Exodus, the second chapter of that book, beginning in the first verse. And the man of the house of Levi went and took as wife the daughter of Levi, a daughter of Levi, and the, women con- and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that, there, that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, And her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word that is spoken to us, remarkable in so many ways. But Lord, as a human instrument for these words, the one who wrote them down, it speaks of his own birth. Lord, we're reminded of the remarkable providences of how it is that you have given to us this written word. But Heavenly Father, far more than that, you expect in us to receive spiritual good. You expect that, Lord, we might see Christ in these things, and we pray that we would. And, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive these good things from your hand, and that we would be blessed because of it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Tonight we come to just our third sermon in this series in the book of Exodus. And uh, the very last time, of course, we spoke of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, as a picture of Satan. But now, tonight, we come to the birth of, Christ, of, of Moses, who is a type of Christ. And so last time we had a picture of, of Satan, now we have uh, a picture of Christ. Not the whole thing, of course, actually. The story of Moses is what we're going to be focusing on, uh, but this is his birth, and just begin, and again, I, I think we really must keep in the larger picture in mind this parallel between Moses and Christ, because that's what's going to do us the most spiritual good, to see these parallels. We, we look at the redemption of the Exodus, and I want us to see the redemption of, of Christ. We look at Moses, who is the Redeemer, and I want us to see Christ. And because of this great parallel, this, this typological portrait 
because of these things, we're not surprised to see that there are some similarities between the birth of Christ and the birth of Moses, who is a, the type of Christ. We notice that Christ, as, uh, or, uh, Moses, as with Christ himself, was, this birth was attended with unusual circumstances, unusual circumstances. There's an indication that the child is remarkable. Now, of course, it's far more so in the case of, of the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. It would only be right that the indications of how remarkable he was would be even greater. The, the coming of the angel Gabriel and the announcement to Mary and the announcement to Joseph. And, of course, then the fact that he was born of a virgin uh, utterly in the most supernatural sort of way, and all these things are greater. But look, even in Moses, we have some indication that we're going to speak of, a, an intimation given that there was something special about this child. And beyond that, beyond this intimation of something special, we have persecution, great persecution of the, the king trying to kill all the male children. In Matthew 2, here's the way it was with the birth of Christ, Matthew two thirteen. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son." Now, here's the situation of verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So this wicked king, so, so, so determined was he to ensure that this Messiah, this Redeemer, would not come to pass that he put to death all of these male children. And similarly, then, we have a, the, the Pharaoh who has ordained that all the male children should be put to death. But in the midst of all these things, there is the faith of Moses' parents. And that's what we, we read also in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, of course, we should see that it was both parents who exercised faith. But the emphasis in our text here in Exodus chapter 2 was actually on Jochebed, on, his, on, on Moses' mother. And so we'll do likewise. We'll, we'll emphasize more her role. And we'll consider her faith in the midst of this great trial and how the Lord dealt with her. So the title of tonight's sermon is Jochebed's Faith. Jochebed's Faith. We have these three points. First, faith to hide the child. Second, faith to build an ark. And third, faith rewarded. Faith to hide the child, faith to build an ark, and faith rewarded. So first of all, faith to hide the child. In our text, Exodus 2 and verse 1, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife the daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. Now, as I mentioned, Moses himself is the one writing this very remarkably. And the man of Levi and his wife are not named here, but they soon enough will be, even in this very book, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. Now, Amram, that's the name of the father, took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. 
And the years of the life of Amram were 137. And then also found in Numbers, which Moses also wrote. You know, he wrote those first five books of the Bible. And in Numbers 26, 59, the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. And so we have that point added. So we know then when we hear about this sister who followed to see what was going to happen to the little ark, we know her name was Miriam. And therefore that Aaron was an older brother, Miriam was an older sister, and Moses was the third child in this family. Well, in verse 2, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Now, that's a curious statement. It's not something easy for us to understand exactly what that means. Does it mean just merely in a very superficial sense that he was a beautiful, a beautiful child? Uh, well, the word in Hebrew is, is a generic. It's just good. Saw that the child was good. But then we have the inspired explanation in Hebrews 11, as I say, Uh, When he was born, was hidden three months by his parents when they saw that he was a beautiful child. And then we have even some further light in Acts chapter 7, this time when Stephen is retelling the story before his his soon-to-be persecutors and murderers. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God and was brought up in his father's house for three months. So as we have it here in Exodus, it's very generic, just good. And then we have it in, in Hebrews, it's a little bit more beautiful. But here in in Acts, we understand he is well-pleasing, he is good and beautiful in the sight of God. But even all those things doesn't quite explain to us what precisely it was that the parents saw in him. It seems, though, that there was something in his appearance, something that spoke of something more, perhaps even a foreshadowing of the glory that would later shine from Moses' face. You know, that was something that, that distinguished Moses from all other people that he had some of the Shekinah glory of God upon him, that he spoke with God face to face. And when he came down from the mountain after speaking with God, as it were, face to face, there came from his, his own face the glory and beauty of the Lord. Perhaps some sort of foreshadowing of that. But the significance of all that is whatever it was, however we want to define it, they were willing to embrace it. They were willing to act upon whatever hint was given to them, whatever it might have been. And so Matthew Henry says, note, a lively, active faith can take encouragement from the least intimation of divine favor, a merciful hint of providence that will encourage those whose spirits make diligent search. Very true. A lively act of faith takes encouragement from the least intimation of divine favor. So opposite then to the response of unbelief. I'm afraid that we probably all know people who even though their lives might include any number of things that we would say this is a remarkable providence, a remarkable preservation, a remarkable blessing that you have been given. More so even than, than I have. And yet they despise it. And instead, they look around for any sort of sign of divine disfavor of of how they can somehow yet find a way to shake their fist at God and how he's been unfaithful or something like that to them. Well, brothers and sisters, may it not be said among us. May we seize a hold of the least sort of intimation that in the midst of some sort of great trial, in the midst of whatever difficulties we're in, we see one little bit of divine favor and we seize upon it. And we act in faith. 
So, rather than obey the edict of the king, the unlawful law of the land at that time, they hid him for three months. And we know that we, they did this because they were not afraid of the king's command. And praise God for it. You know, in that first sermon, we considered the midwives who likewise were not afraid of the king's command. They were not, they were not willing to obey this edict as it was, un, it was ungodly and utterly contrary to the law of God. And so they rather disobeyed, risking what they might in the sight of these things. And we marveled at the courage of these midwives. And likewise, we marvel at the courage of Jochebed and of Amram, of how they were willing to disobey the king in order to preserve the life of this child. We praise God for it. So there was faith, first of all, faith to hide the child. But second, there was faith to build an ark. In verse 3, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Now the thing is, for whatever reason, they could not keep this up forever. Of course, the baby was growing up, perhaps becoming more louder. Uh, perhaps the searches of the Egyptians were getting more invasive, and perhaps, perhaps they had some sort of cyclical search of all the different villages and places, and maybe there was a time appointed which they were going to come and make careful search in this place, and all their neighbors knew of it or, or something along those lines. We're not given further details. But were he to be discovered, not only would he certainly die without any question there, but also that their own lives would be, would be forfeit for having disobeyed the Pharaoh, as they did. And so she constructs an ark. This is Jochebed's faith. She constructs an ark for him out of bulrushes, reeds, made waterproof, you see, with pitch. You you understand the situation there. You make something out of the reeds of the river, which would be the only uh, material that would be readily available for such a purpose. It wasn't going to be waterproof on its own, but she takes the pitch. It does remind you of something else, doesn't, doesn't it? does remind you a little bit of the great ark that, that, Mo, that Noah created and how it was pitched in order to make it perfectly waterproof. Reminds us of something that is prepared for the salvation of God's people in the midst of destruction. Reminds us even of how that is highlighted in Hebrews. I don't know if you noticed as we're going, going through, but that story is likewise highlighted in Hebrews 11 verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. You see, that's, that's it as well. The people, God's people in that day were, were absolutely endangered. We have a picture. We know for certain that there could not have been any more believers than merely the eight people that made it onto the ark. Why? Because they didn't believe. Because they weren't saved. That's the evidence of it. We know they didn't believe because they did not receive the word of God in faith and get onto the ark. So you have a whole world of ungodliness, a flood, as it were, of ungodliness, and only those eight remaining Noah's own family. And God granted that he had the faith to construct an ark for the salvation of his own family. And you think of the faith that it took for him to do that, knowing that God would somehow in his providence uphold it. Now, we're very thankful for the wisdom of the construction of that ark. I've seen models of it and so forth. And if if all the things you could possibly build that would survive a great universal flood, this is the thing that you'd want to construct. However, even still, we know about Titanics, which are supposed to be unsinkable, and they still sink. 
apart from the providence of God upholding it, it surely would have perished in, in the flood. But God did uphold it, and likewise God did uphold this little tiny ark with this Redeemer inside of it, this, this token of God's goodness and favor. So she had the faith to build an ark for the salvation of her son. Now, what exactly did Jochebed expect, by the way, that would, would happen? I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. We're not told. We're only told in Hebrews 11.23 again, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. And faith, of course, if faith is the thing that is behind all of the actions of Jochebed and Amram, if that's what's behind it, then there is something, some faith that is operative here in the construction of that ark and of the putting it out on the water. It must be, now faith is not blind. We speak of blind faith, but that's not quite right. It's faith that is not based on sight, yes, but it is faith based on knowledge. It is faith that is based on some kind of promise, some sort of revelation from God. Now, they certainly had the promise of Genesis 50, verse 24. We're reminded that these books, there they are. One's right next to another. And as one closes, the other one begins. And what's at the end of Genesis? Do you remember that promise? It says this in Genesis 50, 24. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Do you not think that as they were groaning and yearning under those years of slavery and as this, this edict came down for the destruction of their, their, their children, were they not thinking of this, this promise that God had given them? Lord, when are you going to do this? When are you going to bring us up out of this, this nation and bring us into the promised land? They knew that, that promise, and I believe they acted upon it. And so even as all hope seemed to to shrink away from them. They did the one thing that was in their hand to preserve the child's life a little while longer. Maybe that's all that it was. Maybe there were soldiers coming at that very time and they laid him there on the river that his life might be preserved a little while longer. And the Lord blessed it. The Lord blessed it. Because thirdly, we see how that faith was rewarded. As that faith was rewarded. Verse 5, it says, And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And let me just say as well, the faith of the whole family. There Miriam is, is, is either sent or on her own initiative uh, goes to see what's going to happen to her little brother. And she's walking along the, the river um, as all this is happening. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to go get it. Now, I want you to see the providence of God in this. Now, the providence of God is all throughout this, this, this book of Exodus. It is all throughout the whole book of, 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 of this, this scripture. We understand that. But I want you to see the providence of God in that. Because he is the one who controls the flow of rivers. The Nile is not a small river. Uh, we, we have one of the largest rivers in the country. We have the river Tyne. And, and we, we see how mighty it is. But... The Nile even, even more so, of course, depending on what time of year it is. It, it varies greatly, of course, as to how big and how powerful it is. But it is a big river. And you notice these reeds, and you notice the unpredictability of where this thing might end up. 
And God is our God. He's the one who controls the flow of that river and the disposition of little babies and little tiny arcs. And he is able and he is willing in order to take of all the places that it could have been and all the times and all the co-locations and coincidences of things. He actually takes Moses, not to just anybody, but perhaps to the one person on the face of the earth who is actually in a position to really help him. Okay? Because anybody else, if it was another Hebrew, they weren't, weren't going to be caught dead with a, a male Hebrew child. They would be killed for that as well. Another Egyptian, likewise, even more so, and less reason to help. But here we've got the one person in God's providence who could have, had she chosen, done something about it. Pharaoh's own daughter. Now, is there irony in the fact that her father was the murderous dictator who had brought all this upon them? Yes. The one who was endangering this one's life? Yes, there's irony in that. But that fact also meant that she was able to protect him. In verse 6, when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And you see that compassion is the thing that leads her to the act of salvation. And that's very true generally. We, we don't say that she's a, a believer. We don't really know of the rest, what happens thereafter to her. It's, it's at least theoretical, uh, conceivable that maybe she would come to the faith of the Hebrews through her connection with them. We don't know. But we can be certain that salvation comes out of compassion, as it certainly came from the compassion of God. God the Father, who so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son into this world. It comes from the compassionate heart of God the Father. It comes from the compassionate heart of Christ, who is willing to lay down his life in order that we might be saved. It is through his compassion. And yes, through the compassion of the Holy Spirit, who gives of himself in order to indwell us, in order to, he is this purchased gift that is given to us in order that we might live. And so she looks upon him with compassion. The one person, perhaps, in the whole face of the earth, able to save, apart from her father, able to save him, and now she is willing. And in verse 7, then, though, but it doesn't stop there. That's the thing. There's compassion. But the goodness of God does not stop there. It would have been good enough, wouldn't it have, merely to have sent this child to, to Pharaoh's daughter and, and to be saved and the, for the mother never to see him again. But it's a little bit more than that, isn't it? In verse 7, then his sister, his sister, I, I think we could, we could probably preach a sermon on the faith of Miriam in this case. His sister says to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse a child for you? Now, I don't know exactly how this is said. I don't know. It could be that there was some sort of unspoken collusion between them. There may have been some notion of everyone knows good and well what's happening here. But the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter meant that she looked the other way as this was happening. I don't know. The God's word is not any more specific than that. But what I do know is what happened then. In verse 8, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother, meaning her mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, that I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. That is amazing. This, you think about what happened. Jochebed, in faith, puts this child in the river Nile, expecting never to see him again. And the same day gets him back. 
And this time she's not in fear of being killed by the, by the, by the, uh, the Pharaoh's army anymore. Now she has the protection of Pharaoh's daughter. She is the paid nurse now. She even gets paid to do this. The paid nurse. And she can walk around town with this baby now. Because this is the child of Pharaoh's daughter. that has been entrusted to her care. And she nurses this child the child, verse 10, the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. Eventually, of course, as the child grew up, she returned him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And so she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Now, perhaps another day, another time, there could be a whole sermon about Pharaoh's daughter and the remarkable things that, that she did, because in a sense, she also was willing to defy the command of her father. She was not afraid of the command of Pharaoh either. And what we see actually, if we put all these three things together, is that the, in one way or another, the faith, to whatever extent it is a, a godly faith wrought of the Holy Spirit or some other kind of faith, of three remarkable women, of, of Jochebed, of her daughter Miriam, uh, willing to speak up in such a time. You think of the courage and boldness of that and of, of Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter. But in all these things, God was good. And you see how God rewarded to the utmost even that little bit of faith at every point that people acted on what was in front of them. You see, the whole world was, not, was never in their hands. All that was there was a simple act in the first place of either hiding him or not, and they chose to hide him. And then the last thing that was available for them was to put him in the ark, And the one thing that was available then for little Miriam was to speak a word on behalf of her little brother. And in every every case, God added his amazing blessing to these things. This is the faith of Jochebed as well as these others. Well, the application very clearly is, first of all, we should entrust ourselves to God. Whatever our situation, we should entrust ourselves likewise to God. Because he will uphold his people. You know, that, that's the thing. Never, never is there a point that we are truly and with, with, utterly without hope in this world. Now, there are times when things look rough. And we're such an edict to be in this land today, we would all, I assure you, we'd all be gathered together in dismay. And there would be tears. And there, we would all be saying, what are we going to do? We understand that such things happen. But we also understand that God, in even the worst of these things, is upholding us. You know, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. And I think this is really a general principle. That doesn't mean that we won't suffer trials, and sometimes very horrible trials. Sometimes our trials don't come to such a quick and amazing end as this one did. Okay, If only we, we wish that every time such a thing threatened, on the very day it would come. Now, sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. And I bet that we could, we could converse with one another and say, yes, such, such a thing has happened to me. I think I could say that. But it doesn't always. What God says is there is yet and always a way to be faithful. There is yet a a way for you to do something that is pleasing to him, which is all that we really want in the end, right? All we want is to be found pleasing 
that he might say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we can entrust ourselves to God. Now, imagine this situation. As this murderous edict was being enforced, they're surely crying out to the Lord for deliverance. But have you, have you noticed that at the very same time that this has happened, little did they know that the Lord had at that very moment provided that their deliverer would be born. Maybe, just maybe, God's people are crying out and saying, where is the Lord? Where is the Lord? And actually, he's there in an ark, this little ark on the river Nile, on its way to Pharaoh's daughter, who would be the means of their redemption. God was at work here. He was at that very moment he had provided to deliver for them. Maybe the edict only happened, uh, you know, a little while before, maybe a few weeks before the birth of Moses. And this was the, this coming to, into force. And, and at the very same time, God has brought about the birth of the Redeemer. Now, Moses would not come to maturity for a long time thereafter. And it would be even longer until he returned to deliver them. Eighty years to be precise, But God was nonetheless acting in this. And what reminds us is that we should walk by faith and that we should have patience. Because sometimes even the the deliverance that is coming is not even going to be seen in our own days. Are we willing then to have that kind of patience? Are we willing then to leave these things in the hand of God and to trust, yes, the future generations of God's people that they will see these things? I hope we can. Entrust yourself to God. And I would say, secondly, if I haven't already said it, entrust your children to God. Because, look, the world is not good, and every succeeding generation, I I hear it many times, I would hate to have to be raising a child today from the older generation. But I think their parents probably said that in the 80s, and the parents before that probably said that in the 1960s. And that is our situation, that one generation is getting worse than the next, and it is harder and harder and harder to be parents, to raise our children. But is it any worse than when it was absolutely mandatory under a, under a, a, a death sentence to have a child that you were going to have to, to kill that child? It's not worse than that. It's not worse. We have to trust that God knows what he is doing when he brings a child into this world and particularly a child of the covenant in this world. We have to believe that he will find a way to keep his covenant promises despite all the odds. And so we can entrust both ourselves and, yes, secondly, our children to God. Thirdly, I have a very brief uh, mention of an application. Maybe you say this isn't directly from this. Maybe it's not. But it's just something that, that came to mind here. Last time I said... Well, when I spoke of the midwives, I said we should pray uh, against abortion. We should pray for the work of the preservation of unborn children. And now I'd say something a little bit more specific, and that is with crisis pregnancy centers. Did you notice what happens with regard to this Pharaoh's daughter? When she saw him, she had compassion. Does that does it strike you? That's the way God has designed people. He's designed the milk of human compassion to be in us when we see a little baby like that. It's the way he's provided in his his creation for the preservation of life. And we, thankfully, have indeed the technology that mothers can see their unborn children. And it is very often the case that when they see the child, they have compassion on it and decide not to have it killed. And so we can pray even more particularly for the work of crisis pregnancy centers like like our own TPAC 
and that more and more mothers would see their children and have compassion upon them. Fourthly and finally, let me say a word about the covenant of this. As a sort of counterpoint to this morning's sermon, uh, the text this morning was very much focused on our fate as individuals, and so that's what I I preached about. And I mentioned that a connection because of the covenant family in itself does not guarantee your salvation. But I want us to see that there is a lot here that has a picture of the way that our children are dealt with as far as God's covenant. Have you noticed that Moses is utterly passive in all these things? He's utterly passive. He's being born. Someone else has to hide him. He's just there in the crying, and someone else puts him in the ark, and someone else picks him up out of the ark and delivers him in all these things. And that's something, a little something, a little something like what happens with our covenant children. Yes, even with covenant baptism. I know that not all of us are Presbyterians in that sense, in the sense of what we think about the sign and seal, but this is the idea, you see. It's an expression of faith that parents bring their children to something that is then done. All right, there's some provision, not an automatic guarantee, but there's some provision in the hands of God whereby your child might benefit, and then you're willing to act in faith along those lines. It's not exactly the same, but that's the basic idea. Of course, it's not an act of the faith of the child himself that cannot act ordinarily in such a way, but that isn't the picture. The picture is that the parents, in essence, are acting in faith on behalf of the child. They're putting them in the ark of Christ's church. Now, are there other ways of doing that? Of course. If you have children here tonight, that is exactly what you're doing. You are bringing your children to the ark of the church. You are bringing them to the ark of God's word, to the gospel. You are doing what can possibly be done for their salvation, what is in your hands to do, and that's what you should do. That is the idea, isn't it, then? That we entrust our children to God, we bring them into the church, and we we say, Lord, save these children. That's the idea of the covenant. Well, let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are thankful indeed for this marvelous, wonderful story. It, it, it cheers us just thinking about these things. It encourages us, reminded, Lord, that you are able to do all that you ever promise, even more than we ask or imagine. There's little doubt in our minds that Jochebed could not have imagined the situation as this child was returned to her with, with royal provision and protection and payment Lord, what a show of your goodness. Lord, we see how you are able truly to carry out all of your intentions in the work of redemption. You are able to do that, Lord. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we would simply act in faith. Lord, at every point, even when things seem at their very worst, we pray, Lord, that we would respond in faith. That we would be those like Jochebed and and Amram who... Uh, Look for any little sign of your favor, of your approval, of your goodness, of your promise, and seize upon it. Lord, we pray, indeed, that we would entrust ourselves and our children to God. And that, Lord, you would be, be, see fit to bless the little bit of faith that we have with greater things. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.